when I lived in the District of Columbia, I had many opportunities to participate in Kwanzaa celebrations during Christmas week. In fact, there was one couple who held the largest annual celebration I've ever attended to date. They were members of my church, and while I had not yet discerned the call to ministry, I was fortunate to receive an invitation. You see, I'd always heard that the leaders of the ministries and the pastors and all of the associates of the church would get the invitation, but here I was, little old me, fortunate enough to have that opportunity. It was a major home celebration which grew every year. And I can recall even the last time I attended, there was well over 100 people in this couple's home. It called on every participant to recite the principle for that day and offer one's own personal insight and contribution to the gathering. Every day, of course, there's a different principle lifted up during Kwanzaa. So every guest participated, young and old alike, with specific focus on that day's principle whenever the gathering was held. During the 12 days of Christmas, it quickly became one of my must-do activities and one that was big in the community. This was important to me, you see, because there were those years when I could not go home for Christmas. At that time, as I said, I had not yet discerned the call to ministry, but I was a social worker, and oftentimes, if you were the last one hired, you didn't have any vacation time to travel down south to be with family. I had some relatives in town, but it wasn't the same as having close family in the area. You know what I mean. Your own traditions, your own bed. So it was, at least for me, a very important time of celebration. And as I built new relationships, I was introduced to new traditions during the Christmas season. Much of Christmas has to do with celebrating traditions and spending time with family, if you're fortunate. For many people, this requires some travel. Nostalgia motivates us to make the journey even when we are fatigued or unwell. It was no different for Elkanah and Hannah. Each year, they made their way to Shiloh for the festival. It was their tradition. They had two main purposes to offer their sacrifices at Shiloh. Yes, that was one. And to see their firstborn son. Yes, this, their firstborn son who lived in the temple with the priest Eli was a special reason for Hannah. You heard it read that she would make for him each year a linen ephod, the robe that he would wear in his priestly duties as an apprentice, if you will, to Eli. This was not the case where it was an involuntary family separation happening, but a voluntary path for a spiritual purpose. Purpose. Hmm. As promised, when she prayed to the Lord many years before, Hannah relinquished her son to the care of the Lord's servant and priest Eli as teacher, mentor, and spiritual director. His reason for being there had a purpose. This was not a case of an accidental occurrence. It was not a frivolous mood to impress friends and associates with, pious, with a pious ploy to confound others. This was not a strategic placement for selfish reasons either. No, 
Samuel's placement in the temple was a faithful step of a mother's commitment to the Lord being actualized. It had real purpose. How many parents have purpose for their children to great things by praying to the Lord for mercy and direction? I'm sure every parent here has prayed for their child to have some direction in life and certainly that God would cover him or her with mercy. How many mothers have asked the Lord for a son while commending him to the spiritual leadership and direction of a priest? I don't know how many mothers would release their sons to just the care and keeping of the priest. But again, Samuel's life from the very beginning, before he was even born, had purpose. How many fathers, we might ask, have supported a mother's wish for the for their firstborn son since before his birth. Hmm. This was not a simple matter of assisting one's child to appropriately individuate and force upon a child an occupation that would not yield any fruit. No. As Samuel was a child sent by God to deal with the crisis of his times, so Jesus is the child sent by God to deal with the crisis of our time and all times. Yes, all the crises that we find. Jesus was God's answer to the crises. So yes, here's where purpose matters. Samuel, like our Savior, grew in wisdom and in stature with God and within the community. Yes, there are a number of similarities between Samuel and Jesus. Between Samuel and Jesus, both were miracle births involving direct intervention by God. Both births elicited magnificent and similar songs of praise from their mothers. Yet another similarity. Both are presented in the temple to God, which is exactly where we find them in these readings, these parallel readings about two young boys offering their lives to the service of God. And as we've seen, both grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with the community around them. Elkanah and Hannah were not very different from Mary and Joseph in that both sets of parents have been through a great deal, not only with travel, but there's just so much they had to endure with the sons who were called by God with special purposes. Last year this time, as I stand, would stand to proclaim to you, it was CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. Yes, that federal state program that was in danger. Children's health insurance not being covered. These immigrant parents, much in the same way as Joseph and Mary, had to rely upon the help and compassion of others far away from home to give their sons the instruction the guidance and mentorship they needed. Hmm. They had to rely on the help of others. They had to rely on the compassion of others far, far away from home. This was a spiritual matter with a spiritual purpose. So what makes our perspective so different now? Mary and Joseph journeyed from Nazareth to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, back to Jerusalem. Here were a couple of refugee parents who fled to Egypt seeking asylum to protect their young child Jesus from the wrath of Herod. Hmm. 
On December 8th, a seven-year-old girl, Jacqueline, died two days after she was taken to a border patrol station, fleeing poverty and violence. Her migrant parents never imagined their daughter would meet Herod. Then, eight-year-old Philippe Gomez Alonso died on Christmas Eve after he was taken to a hospital, diagnosed with a common cold, then released only to return to the hospital with a temperature of 103 degrees. His migrant father never expected Herod to kill his son either. Parents, expecting people far, far away to have compassion and care for their children. And yet the reports show that it was the best holiday shopping month in six years. Interest rates on the rise, thus by all accounts, it's a strong economy. Yet FEMA is shut down. The United States Coast Guard is not in service. It's been the worst month for stocks since 1931 and the Great Depression. I don't really care to look at my retirement account right about now as I pray for God's mercy and some direction. Children are being separated from their families and two have died in the last three weeks seeking a better life. If God gave Jesus for us to have life and that more abundantly, are we committing spiritual or moral treason when children are left to die in our custody? How do we live according to God's purposes with all these dire stories all around? Living on purpose, that's where we've come to. At this moment in the year, many people become melancholic and deeply reflective, and with good reason, because we sit and we wonder as we look back over the year, have we met each goal we set out to accomplish? Did we check each box that we'd hoped to fulfill, that we committed to in January of 2018, and as we look toward a new year? Uh, it's a time for reflection, sure, but let's not get lost dwelling in the past. Let us ask the questions that are relevant for our living on purpose today. Like, when will we stop putting politics before people? When will we prize the purposes of God before our own? Thy will be done, Lord. Not my will, thy will. Not only are people central, you see, to all of the scripture readings for today, this first Sunday after Christmas, families are prioritized in these scripture readings today. Yes, this first Christmas, the tasks and activities given to families in the rearing of children is brought into focus today. This first Sunday of Christmas, we hear about parents and children making earnest efforts to live into their traditions and their faith. These are the values that are able to give one, of a, life, one a lifetime of direction if one should ascribe. You see, Samuel grew in spiritual stature as he faithfully performed his ritualistic tasks. We must understand that he did not arrive at this place on his own. He was just a boy. It began with his parents, you see, and, and was encouraged by the church. Yes, the boy of Samuel, the boy, also grew in power, 
all the while, his relationship with God grew stronger and more powerful. And like Samuel, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and humanity. Hmm. It's as if Samuel was in some ways a precursor to the boy Jesus and his story, the narrative of Jesus being there in the temple, away from his parents, even for a short moment of sheer panic. Where was he? In the temple of the Lord. And so, yes, as I reflect today on this season, where we are at the very close of another year. I can't help but think about Kwanzaa. I don't know how many of you have been to a Kwanzaa celebration or a party, if you will. I see a few nodding heads here. Some people have the experience. And if we were at a Kwanzaa gathering today, if one were held on today, we would gather and talk about the principles of Kwanzaa. And yes, the one for the day would take center stage. What is the principle for today? Nia. It's as simple as that. Three letters. N-I-A, which means purpose. Purpose. As I think about that principle, I think about this text. I think about the stories of these two boys juxtaposing Samuel's story with Jesus' story. How are parents to instill a sense of purpose in the children God has placed in their care without the community's help? What is our purpose as a church especially as we covenant together in ritualistic acts like that of baptism and the sacrament of Holy Communion to aid in the instruction of our community's children in the way of the Lord. In singing the songs of Zion, praying the prayers and concerns of the church. Yes, you see, our roles have a godly purpose. As followers of Jesus, the infant born in a stable reminds us that we are not immune to the normal demands of moral behavior. Now that Jesus has come, now that we have celebrated and will continue in this season to celebrate his birth, is there some profound change or awakening we have experienced? As we reflect upon the significance of Christmas, we see yet again that God is working with a purpose. God is always intentional, as one gospel writer, songwriter writes. We have to know that God's purposes are what we are to aim for. God enters the world at Christmas. God gives attention to our needs, our concerns, our prayers. God comes to us in the form of a baby. God shows us the innocence of birth and the early development of a child even in the life of Samuel, that children come with a purpose too. Children come with purpose. So what have you done to help some child, not even your own birth child, but some child to understand that he or she has purpose, that their lives have real meaning, that they're here to do something that God will one day reveal to them. And until God reveals it, we are to share with them and usher them in the way of celebrating the Lord, worshiping the Lord, understanding what it is to be in God's temple. Yes, on this fifth day of Kwanzaa, I can't help but reflect upon the, today's principle, Nia, or purpose. As was the case last year, it causes me to turn my attention to a poem that I love so much in this season by Howard Thurman. 
that great pastor, poet, and mystic. Howard Thurman wrote the work of Christmas. His poem shares, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers and sisters too, to make music in the heart. So today, Christ Church, I have to ask you, are you ready for the work of Christmas? Are you ready for the work of Christmas? And by asking that question, I hope your response is yes, because by Living into the work of Christmas, we live on purpose. We live into our purposes individually and collectively. And so I had a sister clergy friend, one for whom I love dearly and met in seminary, who offered this for our consideration today, and I want to share it because it's so on point and it lifts up our purpose. She writes, this has been a full and heavy year for us all, individually and collectively. Joys and sorrows, highs and lows, things we saw coming and things we did not anticipate. We have loved ones who now live in the realm of the unmediated love and light of God. We have each had varying shifts in the health and stamina of our bodies. Did you feel that? I did. We've had some good and some challenging things happen to us in life. We were faced with family challenges and change that changed the way we care for our parents, our children, and ourselves. And through it all, God has kept us. We're still here. God has kept us. God has kept our minds intact. God has kept our bodies with, as the old folk would say, a reasonable portion of health and strength. God has kept us sheltered. God has kept us fed. God has spared us from danger seen and unseen. God has shown up in unexpected ways with unexpected blessings. God has extended grace beyond measure. And God has continued to give us the gift and love in family, friends, and even in each other. Good Christian friends with whom to laugh until we lose our breath and cry until we are out of tears. Oh, life is not perfect, she writes. Our plates are full and some odd zillion action items are our multiple to-do lists swirl fluidly in our minds from primary preoccupation to background subtasks. They are not going to go away until they are done. There will always be something to do something or someone to which or whom we must attend. But let us pause. Sometime today, whether in worship or in a quiet evening moment, to bless, thank, and praise God for God's extravagant goodness to us this year. You see, despite it all and in the midst of it all, God has been good to us this year. Things worked out, tasks were done, bills got paid, and God has been good. And let us consider 
How shall I live differently next year? What can I do better next year? How can I be better? How can I take better care of myself and my soul next year? What would God have me do differently next year? What would God have me do next year? Or better yet, what would God have me stop doing next year? I want to encourage you today, church, let's make our motto for next year a prayer. Lord, help me to live on purpose. Help me to live on purpose. Because I believe that when we utter that prayer, God will help order our steps and align our desires so that we are linked and God's will becomes our will and therefore we are living into the purpose God has for us. So beloved, rejoice this last Sunday of the year. Be grateful for every gift you can call to mind for God's gifts are truly too numerous to recall them all. Be awed by some beauty in God's world today. A bird, a tree, a cloud, a child's laughter, the image of God in another human being. Look at one another. Look someone in the eye and be mindful of the breath of God in your lungs. As you look at them, the breath of God is in their lungs too. Wiggle your toes with the delight of a baby who has discovered them for the first time. Smile, laugh, be thankful. Beloved, rejoice and be glad and live on purpose. Amen. <laughs>